G'day, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news, workers' stories and social justice issues. This program is produced in Melbourne for 3CR on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation, and we pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Stick Together is broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network with the support of the Community Radio Foundation. The FIFA World Cup in Qatar has been built on the bones of thousands of exploited immigrant workers from poor countries. Millions of people around the world are enjoying the exhibition of national prowess in the world game with only a slight sense of uncomfortableness when reminded of this fact. The old belief that one should not bring politics into sports is so profoundly undermined by the sheer callousness exhibited by the host country and the auspicing organisation in this case that it is hard not to see the present World Cup as a line in the sand in regard to the rich and the poor, the haves and the have-nots, overconsumption and dire poverty. Today we explore the actual practicalities of those workers. Nigel Davies, a now retired CFMEU official who was part of the red card for FIFA campaign, talks about his experience of doing an OH&S walkthrough of the conditions for these workers housed in shipping containers in the desert of Qatar in 50 degree heat with no air conditioning and inadequate water supplies where 20 year olds died when their bodies shut down and ended up being shipped back to their home countries in body bags and registered as dying of natural causes giving their families no access to compensation. Billions of dollars were spent to put on these games but not one penny could be spared for the workers' livable conditions leaving only the question, why? Why is the game being televised here? Why isn't there more of a stink? Why is it okay? Why don't the devotees of the world game turn their backs on this obscenity and enjoy their love of the game in a more local sphere rather than give the power to a frighteningly callous crew? That is for later in the program. First, some union news. <laughs> The Secure Jobs Better Pay laws which amend the Fair Work Act 2009 as well as other industrial laws has been passed by Federal Parliament. According to the Green Left Weekly, there are positive aspects to the legislation with some issues to be concerned about. The legislation has a focus on making gender pay equity an objective of the Fair Work Act, making it easier for the Fair Work Commission to order pay rises for low-paid female-dominated industries by putting in place a statutory equal remuneration principle. The law will also abolish the Australian Building and Construction Commission after 17 years and two months of what many characterise as a focused attack on the CFMEU, the Construction, Forestry, Mining and Energy Union. Enterprise bargaining with multiple employers is another positive change. It will allow unions to organise protected industrial action in support of bargaining claims across hundreds of workplaces and involve thousands of employees, provided the businesses have a common interest. Negatives to the legislation in the Green Left analysis include the exclusion of the CFMEU and businesses with less than 20 employees from enterprise bargaining with multiple employers. 
the weakening of the boot test, the test that mandates that workers cannot be forced onto agreements that reduce their pay and conditions. In the new legislation, the Fair Work Commission can amend an agreement without obtaining the views of the workers or unions involved. A new mandatory conciliation clause has been introduced before any protected action ballot order can be granted. The mandatory conciliation clause will force union officials to make deals rather than consult union members on an offer from the boss, according to the paper, including the possibilities of taking industrial action if members aren't happy with the offer. The Fair Work Commission will also have the power to arbitrate where both sides seem to be uncompromising. As the Green Left analysis points out, for the past 30 years, disputes have been resolved through agreement, not by a government body imposing a resolution. Imposing an agreement could leave workers worse off. Finally, employers will no longer be obliged to give employees information about any proposed enterprise agreement. Consequently, determining whether employees have genuine agreement to a a proposed DEA will no longer rely on whether they have been given sufficient information by the employer, but whether they have a sufficient interest in the terms of the proposed DEA and are sufficiently representative of the employees the EA is covering. A small reprieve for the Curtin Hotel in Melbourne, the iconic pub situated across from Victoria Trades Hall and the heart of many Labor historical events, was recently sold to foreign investors for the sum of $5.08 million and threatened with redevelopment. A green ban was placed on the development and Heritage Victoria came into bat for the historical significance of the site. It was confirmed by the hotel licensee that the overseas consortium has signed a lease for a further 10 years, thus allowing the pub music venue to continue operating as is. MEAA, the Media Entertainment and Artists Alliance, reported that 72.8% of eligible employees voted to reject the management proposed DEA at the ABC. The key demands include sustainable careers in regional Australia, real action against racism and sexism, pay that doesn't go backwards and safe workloads. Regional workers for the ABC are paid on average $25,000 lower than in the cities while experiencing unattainable KPIs, extremely long hours and work intensification, according to the workers in the union. Staff have also called for action on racism and sexism in the workplace at the ABC. A rigorous gender and racial pay gap audit will help ABC to be a fair and safe workplace and to effectively tell stories that reflect the diversity of the Australian public. They maintain that while executives enjoy big bonuses, staff have been offered pay at half the rate of inflation and junior staff might lose their overtime buyout pay with less than two weeks' notice. Workloads are out of control and despite renewed government funding, ABC management are refusing to review them and relieve the pressure according to the union. The union says by voting no, members sent a clear message that they had enough of the ABC's business model of overwork, underpay and inequality. The next step towards a fair deal is preparing for collective industrial action in the new year.
United Workers Union security guards from Victoria's County Court stopped work for six hours on December the 8th to protest forced annual leave changes being pushed by their employer, G4S. As part of bargaining, G4S was attempting to introduce a term which would allow them to force guards to take leave during court closures with only four weeks' notice. These closures do not necessarily intersect with religious or school holidays. Security officers were also fighting for a fair pay increase and fair disciplinary processes. The United Workers Union maintains that G4S, which was the recipient of lucrative taxpayer-funded government contracts, was last year acquired by US-based security giant Allied Universal, whose reported revenues exceeded $20 billion a year Australian. Striking workers from the court were joined outside the court by supporters and union officials to take part in a mock trial as part of the rally. UWU official Damien Davies said the members' pursuit of freedom to take annual leave at convenient times should not be on trial. The majority of the workers from the court are from diverse backgrounds with family overseas and observe religious festivals and ceremonies that would differ to your average judge. It strikes me as a huge miscarriage of justice that a massive multinational like G4S and Allied Universal can impose restrictions when workers can take a holiday. UWU urged G4S to stop the annual leave restriction and return to the bargaining table to prevent further disruption to the court. World Socialist website reported that as the strike by food manufacturing workers at Pampas Pastry Factory in West Footscray, Melbourne entered its third week, the company has resorted to provocative attacks against the striking workers. The indefinite strike at the Melbourne plant began on November 21 after workers rejected the company's proposed enterprise agreement containing a 4% pay rise far short of the rising cost of living. While workers called for an 8-6% to per annual pay rise in line with current and predicted inflation, the workers are also demanding that the company offer permanent jobs to around 15 workers employed as casuals, some of whom have worked at the facility for more than 15 years. The casual workers employed through a labour hire agency have no legal right to join the industrial action and are being forced to work through the strike or face the sack. While the Melbourne factory represents only a small part of its billion-dollar multinational operation, Goodman Filder has responded to the strike with immense hostility. On November the 25th, the fifth day of the strike, firefighters were called to the site over a campfire workers were maintaining, which was safely contained in a metal drum. The UWU alleged that the company called the fire brigade in a deliberate attempt to disrupt lawful industrial action and to intimidate the striking workers. Following this... Representatives of the company management visited local residents and businesses, issuing them with $100 gift vouchers and letters urging them to call the police if they felt harassed or inconvenienced by the strike. In response, a number of neighbours gave the vouchers to the striking workers, organised a barbecue and made placards declaring, We support Pampers workers on strike. 
Workers said that the full staff base of around 80 workers usually produces 80 pallets of stock, each containing 60 boxes per day. The skeleton crew of labour hire casuals still working in the factory is only able to produce around a dozen pallets per day. Tim Benfanto, an organiser with the United Workers' Union, spoke to 3CR Thursday Breakfast. Sort of something that goes hidden a lot of the time in the food and beverage manufacturing industry where what happens is the company will have a group of workers who are often long-term permanent workers, so either full-time or part-time, and they're paid according to the enterprise bargaining agreement that the company negotiates with, with the union on the site, right? But then on top of that, what they do is they'll have a pool of workers who work for a labour hire casual agency. So they're, they're employed as casuals, and it means that they are on minimum wage, right? They're paid on the award. Very, very normal in, in the industry to bring people in as labour hire agency casuals. What it isn't normal to see is people who have been in those arrangements for for, for 20 plus years, right? So that is the case at Panthers. There are some really, really, really long-term workers who are still casual, still working with labour hire agencies, um, and they're alongside people who do the exact same job as them, being paid, you know, five, six, seven uh, or eight dollars more per hour than them, and they have job security. They have sick leave, annual leave, all the rest. So it's a clearly unfair situation. We want to change it. We want to see um, particularly the really long-term labour hire agency casuals converted to be permanent workers. And the other thing at Pampers as well is uh, use of ongoing 12-month contracts. We think that's also unfair. Essentially, you have have a cloud hanging over your head. You know, in 12 months, your job is completely on the line. Um, That's not on. People who do five days a week, they've done so for several years. They know what they're doing on site. They don't need to be on on continual contracts. They need to just be made permanent workers at Panthers and have that job security that everyone else there has. The more secure um, permanent work on site, so that means conversions for um, labour hire agency casuals after a certain amount of time and the ending of the use of contracts. So it's those two key things that the workers are fighting for out there. CEPU Tasmania reported on December 2nd that after four weeks on the grass, members at Chubb Tasmania have reached agreement to all claims with management. The union said this dispute had its roots in same job, same pay. Chubb is now the first employer in the sprinkler industry in Tasmania to adopt the nine-day fortnight, bringing long overdue better work-life balance to the industry. The ANF, the Australian Nursing Federation in Western Australia, took industrial action on Friday, November the 25th and directed its members how to vote a wages offer by the Western Australian Government despite a warning against such action by the Industrial Relations Commission, the IRC, which has set a cat amongst the pigeons. The IRC attacked with a warning of impending deregistration of the union. The ABC reported that ANF... State Secretary Janet Ray also did not appear before the Commission on Friday after being summoned to a hearing and instead addressed nurses at a rally outside State Parliament and the Government's ministerial offices. IRC Senior Commissioner Rachel Constantino has now written to Ms Ray, putting her on notice that she is considering issuing a direction to summons the ANF to appear before the Commission to show cause why the ANF's registration should not be suspended. The suspension of the union's registration would mean it no longer had the right to enrol 
or represent members and it would be stripped of its right of entry to places where its members worked. Ms Ray denounced the Commission's move and attacked the Western Australian Government. You look at New South Wales where the nurses and midwives there have been on strike four times in the last six months and they get fined $25,000, she said in a statement. The ANF in Western Australia goes on strike once and the government starts deregistration proceedings. We were heroes during the pandemic, but now, according to the McGowan government, we are criminals and all because we are standing up for our patients and demanding improvements to attract and retain staff to fill the thousands of vacant shifts every month. The nurses will be fuming with this latest move by the government, but most importantly of all, this latest move does nothing to solve the current dispute. Ms Ray said she was getting advice from the ANF's legal team and would speak with ANF secretaries in other states. You're on Stick Together, workers' stories, union news and social justice issues. The issue of substandard working conditions for workers building the facilities for the present World Cup in Qatar was in the spotlight despite efforts by Qatar's government and FIFA to downplay the issues of thousands of deaths of migrant workers with no compensation for suffering families. There is a belief that the cheers of the football crowds enjoying the world sporting event will divert attention from the unnecessary cruelty involved in the treatment of workers during this build. Nigel Davies, a former official from the CFMEU, talks about the red card for for FIFA campaign waged by international unions in support of their fellow construction workers. We're affiliated with the BWI, which is the Building Woodworkers International Union, along with the ETU as well from Australia. There's hundreds of other unions that are involved trying to help them out. So 2010, when uh, um, before this got awarded to Qatar, Australia had a vested interest in there because we went to the 2022 World Cup uh, along with Qatar, and also the favourite at that point was the US. So, so when they come out and you know the, the 2022 World Cup announced uh, to Qatar, there was there was a massive surprise, and um, and as we found out a little bit later, there's three of the FIFA officials that have been got at as it with with drives and. Understanding with some of the reports out there now that uh, there's one of the officials that got bribed around about the 15 million US dollars this time. The, the bottom line is, you know, the World Cup has been filled on the blood, sweat, and tears of exploited migrant workers, and thousands of those never made it home to their foreign country while, while trying to provide for their family and their loved ones in their homeland. You know, so for that, you know, we should never let FIFA live this down and let FIFA should be getting the red card themselves, which we had a campaign uh, many, many years ago and seven or eight years ago in Melbourne that, that we had a bit of a red card campaign against FIFA back then, trying to explain about the Kafala system uh, over there, which is a, a, a massive problem in the Gulf nations. Basically, the companies, they wanted labour because they, they haven't got the population in Qatar uh, in order to have the construction workers and, and all that. Now, You've got to bear in mind now that the, the World Cup is going to be viewed, you know, it's got to be the highest viewing of, of, of any sport at any time in the world. And they're estimated about 6 billion viewers are going to be watching the World Cup. Now, Qatar also sort of said that they were, it was going to cost them just to hold the World Cup around uh, about the 500 billion uh, Australian dollars. It wasn't just stadiums they were building, they had to build cities, they had to build roads, rail. You know, so, so they were starting from scratch, really. When we got there in early 2019, so nearly four years ago uh, next month, there was only a, a start of a stadium in the middle of the desert, and then all the roads and rails were getting built out there. So the work was huge, you know, that they had to sort of do in 12 years from being awarded to host the cup. 
in order to get uh, workers there, they went all to a lot of the poorer nations. So you're talking Nepal, Bangladesh, India, Pakistan, Philippines, many African countries as well. And what they set up was, I suppose the best way to explain it, they set up labor hire companies in those countries. And the official number we got from these people, what they were offering these people, was round about, the wages were, were going to be round about 200 to 250 US dollars a month, plus your accommodation and all that. So these people were jumping on that, because you, you bear in mind these are poor nations now. These workers, when they leave home, they, they send probably more than half their wages back home to keep the family going. And, and that's the extended family. You're talking mum, dad, grandfather, grandmother, and, and all the kids and all that sort of stuff. That's what they did. Now, a lot of these migrant workers as well, knowing that they were going to get this work in Qatar and that, they got some loans in their home countries in order to keep the family going while they went away. Now, when they landed in Qatar with this kafala system, and it's uh, with the kafala system, probably the easiest way to, to explain it, it's like a sponsorship, it's like a company sponsor, uh, sponsoring an, an employee to come into the country. But the only thing over there is, when you're sponsored over there, you, you need the permission of the employer to come into the country, the permission to stay in the country, you need their permission to change jobs, and you need permission to leave the country from the employer. So basically, they take your passport as soon as you land in that country. So you're in track there, uh, and, and you're a slave. You're a slave to that company. So this is happening, and all these workers who are going over there, they were hoping they were going to get some good accommodation, and they were going to get around about the 250 US dollars mark. Now, in some cases, there are some people who haven't been paid for six months at all. I'll fast track a bit on how we got involved. So there's uh, an international trade union uh, um, committee which is run from um, Belgium, from Brussels, and we were lucky enough, probably it's going back about eight years ago, and some, some of the listeners might remember, Sharon Burrow was head of the international trade union, and she did uh, a flying visit into Qatar with some hidden cameras, and it got on to... I think the likes of Four Corners or, or something many, many years ago. And it raised a big stink back then. So it's credit to her and, and her organisation that they got in there initially and, and really kicked up a, a bit of a fuss. And that's where we come in. So, so then um, Sharon and, and her team got the BWI involved. And the BWI is uh, it's, it's one of our own, um, Dave Noonan. He's a big part of the Asia-Pacific. Uh, of the BWI, so Dave went over there, I'd say about, I'd say six or seven years ago, to have a look for himself, along with some Danish unions, the German unions, I think the, the, the union from the UK as well, and they created this thing, uh, um, so, so we'd be going there, uh, you know, and doing some side visits with the RHMS. Now, what FISA and the, uh, the Qatari government did then was they went into a bit of damage control because of all the bad press they were getting, and they, they established this um, committee that they called the Supreme Committee, and that Supreme Committee was going to look after the stadiums only. None of the infrastructure, just the stadium. Just to basically save face of the FIFA and the Qataris of the government because of all the crap that was going on there and the conditions that these workers were working in and living in, you know? So, so this Supreme Committee was uh, was formed, and then that's where Alex and I, uh, we, we got the invite to go there and do... Um, and do some safety walks uh, and the like. Now, you know, the, the reality of it is, and the Qatari government and certainly the Supreme Commission uh, that we were dealing with didn't know that we, Alex and I landed in the country about three days earlier, met up with two organisers in the country and they showed us the real 
what was going on. But uh, we went to a couple of places to call them, um, like the industrial centres, where, where the migrant workers live out of town, so they're probably about half an hour, an hour bus ride out of town, so they're out of sight, out of mind. And, and, and literally, it's just like a, a shanty town, basically, built of, of shipping containers, and they lived in there and in the shipping containers, so you're talking... You know, in a in, in a normal sized bedroom, you probably have six to eight beds, and what they call is hot bedding. So they'd be working ten to twelve hours a day, six to seven days a week. And as when we were there, when the buses were coming in, and, and they had the shift change, so these guys are coming, you know, jumping out of bed to go to go and do the night shift, whereas the guys on the on the day shift are literally just jumping in their beds right away. And and this was this was common. You know, this was really really common. As far as the health and safety goes, and, and, and this is where we've got to understand now, the Guardian put out that there was 6,500 migrant workers that probably lost their lives during the building of these games over the last 12 years. Now, the Qatari government has since put out, I think, 400, right? Now, I'd say the, the, the figure would be closer to that 6,500 mark, and, and, and that's without exaggeration, because what they were doing was they were they had deaths on site, yes, you know, the calls from heights and all. But the biggest killer over there was, the saddest thing for some of these poorest nations was, when the bodies are coming back to, say, Nepal or whatever, they say cause of death, natural causes. Now, the natural causes were, you know, a heart attack, heart failure, cardiac arrest and all that sort of stuff. Now, how on earth can a 20-something-year-old or a 30-something-year-old have all these sort of heart failures and all that? And, and what they found out today, because in the summer months over there, it gets temperatures up to 50 degrees, and they were still working on it. So, so their bodies were failing when they were out of work. So when they were resting, and that, they, were, they were literally having a heart attack, these 20 or 30-year-old kids. It, it, the conditions were absolutely horrendous, you know. And, and um, so, so the things that we did, we just made sure that there was enough water bubbles on the sites and stuff like that. Some of the workers were saying, you know, John, they sweated everything out. They needed water in order to... So they can sweat some more, you know. Uh, otherwise, you, 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 the, the heat is sort of starting to work on your vitals. Another, another couple of workers are saying, "Why?" But they, um, and I didn't know this, and, and, and maybe some of the uh, some of the listeners would. So, some of them experienced sort of, um, you know, when, when they were going for a piss or something like that, the piss was foaming up, and they're going, "What's going on?" So they go to the doctor, and what was actually happening? The kidneys were starting to fail with the heat. The Nepalese did a lot of work on this because, you know, the people are coming back in literally body bags of pine boxes and just saying natural causes, uh, um, so therefore the company wouldn't have to pay any compensation to the families because it was the, the, the death was natural cause. It's an absolute disgrace. Big shout out to the Socceroos because they put out a message before they went there and, and they threw out the solidarity of all the migrant workers in the, you know, that have built this um, World Cup. A few of the other European countries as well tried to sort of get involved and they were kind of aware that, you know, the rainbow armband and, and all that, but the teams pulled back on that because they were going to get a yellow card. Now, come on, then they're earning millions of dollars every year. It's all these uh, migrant workers that are given blood, sweat and tears and in some cases their lives for these guys to play this game. That's it for Stick Together this week. If you want to catch up with our program, the podcast is available at 3cr.org.au or at your favourite podcast site. And you can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com or by ringing 03 9419 and leaving us a message. My name's Annie McLaughlin. Remember... 
Wherever you are, whatever you do, there is a union for you. And until next time, stick together and keep safe. Come all you poor workers, good new to you, I'll tell how the good old union has come in here to dwell. Which side are you on? Which side are you on? We're starting our good battle, we know we're sure to win. Because we've got the gun, thugs are looking very thin. Which side are you on? Which side are you on? If you go to Harlan County, there is no neutral there. You'll either be a union man or a thug for J.H. Blair. Which side are you on? Which side are you on? They say they have to guard us to educate their child. Their children live in luxury, our children almost wild. Which side are you on? Which side are you on? Gentlemen, can you stand it? Oh, tell me how you can. Will you be a gun thug or will you be a man? Which side are you on? Which side are you on? My daddy was a miner. He's now in the air and sun. He'll be with you fellow workers till every battle's won. Which side are you on? Which side are you on? Now all of you know which side you're on and they'll never keep us down. Be a lousy scab, or will you be a man? Which side are you on?